Chapter 8 of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains, by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mouth of the Columbia, the Native Tribes, their Fishing, their Canoes, Bold Navigators, Equestrian Indians and Piscatory Indians, Difference in their Physical Organization, Search for a Trading Site, Expedition of McDougall and David Stewart, Concomly the One-Eyed Chieftain, influence of wealth in savage life slavery among the natives an aristocracy of flatheads hospitality among the chinooks concomly's daughter her conquest the columbia or oregon for the distance of thirty or forty miles from its entrance into the sea is properly speaking a mere estuary indented by deep bays so as to vary from three to seven miles in width and is rendered extremely intricate and dangerous by shoals reaching nearly from shore to shore on which at times the winds and currents produce foaming and tumultuous breakers the mouth of the river proper is but about half a mile wide formed by the contracting shores of the estuary the entrance from the sea, as we have already observed, is bounded on the south side by a flat, sandy spit of land stretching in to the ocean. This is commonly called Point Adams. The opposite or northern side is Cape Disappointment, a kind of peninsula terminating in a steep knoll or promontory crowned with a forest of pine trees and connected with the mainland by a low and narrow neck immediately within this cape is a wide open bay terminating at chinook point so called from a neighboring tribe of indians this was called baker's bay and here the tonquin was anchored the natives inhabiting the lower part of the river and with whom the company was likely to have the most frequent intercourse were divided at this time into four tribes the chinooks clatsops wakayakums and kathlamas they resembled each other in person dress language and manner and were probably from the same stock but broken into tribes or rather hordes by those feuds and schisms frequent among indians these people generally live by fishing it is true they occasionally hunt the elk and deer and ensnare the waterfowl of their ponds and rivers but these are casual luxuries their chief subsistence is derived from the salmon and other fish which abound in the columbia and its tributary streams aided by roots and herbs especially the wapatu which is found on the islands of the river as the indians of the plains who depend upon the chase are bold and expert riders and pride themselves upon their horses so these piscatory tribes of the coast excel in the management of canoes and are never more at home than when riding upon the waves their canoes vary in form and size some are upwards of fifty feet long cut out of a single tree either fir or white cedar and capable of carrying thirty persons they have thwart pieces from side to side about three inches thick and their gunwales flare outwards so as to cast off the surges of the waves the bow and stern are decorated with grotesque figures of men and animals sometimes five feet in height in managing their canoes they kneel two and two along the bottom sitting on their heels and wielding paddles from four to five feet long while one sits on the stern and steers with a paddle of the same kind the women are equally expert with the men in managing the canoe and generally take the helm 
it is surprising to see with what fearless unconcern these savages venture in their light barks upon the roughest and most tempestuous seas they seem to ride upon the waves like sea-fowl should a surge throw the canoe upon its side and endeavor its overturn those to windward lean over the upper gunwale thrust their paddles deep into the wave and apparently catch the water and force it under the canoe and by this action not merely regain an equilibrium but give their bark a vigorous impulse forward the effect of different modes of life upon the human frame and human character is strikingly instanced in the contrast between the hunting indians of the prairies and the piscatory indians of the sea-coast the former continually on horseback scouring the plains gaining their food by hardy exercise and subsisting chiefly on flesh are generally tall sinewy meagre but well formed and of bold and fierce deportment the latter lounging about the river banks or squatting and curved up in their canoes are generally low in stature ill-shaped with crooked legs thick ankles and broad flat feet they are inferior also in muscular power and activity and in game qualities and appearance to their hard-riding brethren of the prairies having premised these few particulars concerning the neighboring indians we will return to the immediate concerns of the tonquin and her crew further search was made for mr fox and his party but with no better success and they were at length given up as lost in the meantime the captain and some of the partners explored the river for some distance in a large boat to select a suitable place for the trading post their old jealousies and differences continued they never could coincide in their choice and the captain objected altogether to any site so high up the river they all returned therefore to baker's bay in no very good humour the partners proposed to examine the opposite shore but the captain was impatient of any further delay his eagerness to get on had increased upon him he thought all these excursions a sheer loss of time and was resolved to land at once build a shelter for the reception of that part of his cargo destined for the use of the settlement and having cleared his ship of it and of his irksome shipmates to depart upon the prosecution of his coasting voyage according to orders on the following day therefore without troubling himself to consult the partners he landed in baker's bay and proceeded to erect a shed for the reception of the rigging equipments and stores of the schooner that was to be built for the use of the settlement this dogged determination on the part of the sturdy captain gave high offence to mr macdougall who now considered himself at the head of the concern as mr astor's representative and proxy he set off the same day april fifth accompanied by david stuart for the southern shore intending to be back by the seventh not having the captain to contend with they soon pitched upon a spot which appeared to them favourable for the intended establishment it was on a point of land called point george having a very good harbour where vessels not exceeding two hundred tons burden might anchor within fifty yards of the shore after a day thus profitably spent they recrossed the river but landed on the northern shore several miles above the anchoring ground of the tonquin in the neighbourhood of chinooks and visited the village of that tribe 
here they were received with great hospitality by the chief who was named comcomly a shrewd old savage with but one eye who will occasionally figure in this narrative each village forms a petty sovereignty governed by its own chief who however possesses but little authority unless he be a man of wealth and substance that is to say possessed of canoe slaves and wives the greater the number of these the greater is the chief how many wives this one-eyed potentate maintained we are not told but he certainly possessed great sway not merely over his own tribe but over the neighbourhood having mentioned slaves we would observe that slavery exists among several of the tribes beyond the rocky mountains the slaves are well treated while in good health but occupied in all kinds of drudgery should they become useless however by sickness or old age they are totally neglected and left to perish nor is any respect paid to their bodies after death a singular custom prevails not merely among the chinooks but among most of the tribes about this part of the coast which is the flattening of the forehead the process by which this deformity is effected commences immediately after birth the infant is laid in a wooden trough by way of cradle the end on which the head reposes is higher than the rest a padding is placed on the forehead of the infant with a piece of bark above it and is pressed down by cords which pass through holes on each side of the trough as the tightening of the padding and the pressing of the head to the board is gradual the process is said not to be attended with much pain the appearance of the infant however while in this state of compression is whimsically hideous and its little black eyes we are told being forced out by the tightness of the bandages resemble those of a mouse choked in a trap about a year's pressure is sufficient to produce the desired effect at the end of which time the child emerges from its bandages a complete flathead and continues so through life it must be noted that this flattening of the head has something in it of aristocratical significancy like the crippling of the feet among the chinese ladies of quality at any rate it is a sign of freedom no slave is permitted to bestow this enviable deformity upon his child all the slaves therefore are roundheads with this worthy tribe of chinooks the two partners passed a part of the day very agreeably mcdougall who was somewhat vain of his official rank had given it to be understood that they were two chiefs of a great trading company about to be established here and the quick-sighted though one-eyed chief who was somewhat practised in traffic with white men immediately perceived the policy of cultivating the friendship of two such important visitors he regaled them therefore to the best of his ability with abundance of salmon and wapatu the next morning april seventh they prepared to return to the vessel according to promise they had eleven miles of open bay to traverse the wind was fresh the waves ran high Com calmly remonstrated with them on the hazard to which they would be exposed they were resolute however and launched their boat while the wary chieftain followed at some short distance in his canoe scarce had they rowed a mile when a wave broke over their boat and upset it they were in imminent peril of drowning especially mr mcdougall who could not swim 
Comcomly, however, came bounding over the waves in his light canoe and snatched them from a watery grave. They were taken on shore and a fire made, at which they dried their clothes, after which Comcomly conducted them back to his village. Here everything was done that could be devised for their entertainment during three days that they were detained by bad weather. Comcomly made his people perform antics before them, and his wives and daughters endeavored by all the soothing and endearing arts of women to find favor in their eyes some even painted their bodies with red clay and anointed themselves with fish oil to give additional lustre to their charms mr mcdougall seems to have had a heart susceptible to the influence of the gentler sex whether or no it was first touched on this occasion we do not learn but it will be found in the course of this work that one of the daughters of the hospitable comcomly eventually made a conquest of the great airy of the american fur company when the weather had moderated and the sea became tranquil the one-eyed chief of the chinooks manned his state canoe and conducted his guests in safety to the ship where they were welcomed with joy for apprehensions had been felt for their safety Comcomly and his people were then entertained on board of the Tonquin, and liberally rewarded for their hospitality and services. They returned home highly satisfied, promising to remain faithful friends and allies of the white men. End of chapter 8